The Global Democracy and Justice Lecture Series with Oded Gilad and Dina Freeman. Episode 4. Is Globalization the Problem? In these videos, we have outlined and discussed many of the problems of contemporary globalization. How it drives widening economic inequality, creating a world where a handful of billionaires own more wealth than half the Earth's population combined. How it leads to the erosion of democracy at the national level, as global capital overwhelms national governments and ends up dictating policies and practices. And how it makes it virtually impossible to solve pressing global problems, such as climate change, environmental degradation and biodiversity loss, because there is no decision-making body at the global level able to make rules and regulations for the whole world and to ensure that they are enforced. We are certainly not the first to highlight these problems. Academics and activists have been pointing out these issues for at least 20 years. But the trouble is, they've not offered any plausible solution. They've simply vented their frustration with the current system. For example, in 1999, a huge group of some 40,000 activists came together to protest outside the Seattle meeting of the World Trade Organization where governments were meeting to discuss further integration of the world's economies. The activists were against the policies and approach of the World Trade Organization and the neoliberal form of globalization that it produced. They demanded a globalization that would benefit everyone on the planet, not just the wealthy elite. All well and good. But what would that look like? They weren't sure. This big demonstration kicked off the so-called anti-globalization movement. Over the next several years, they organized large protests outside nearly every meeting of the World Bank, the IMF, the World Trade Organization, the G20, and several other international organizations. And at the local level, they organized a range of protests and demonstrations in many countries, particularly across Africa, Asia, and Latin America. They cried, our world is not for sale, and rallied together under the slogan, another world is possible. But what did this other possible world look like? In 2001, they established the World Social Forum, named in contrast to the meeting of elites in Davos at the World Economic Forum. And different activists and social movements from around the world came together to meet and discuss what kind of world they wanted to build. The first meeting in Porto Alegre in Brazil brought together over 12,000 people a wide-ranging mix of human rights activists, indigenous peoples, environmentalists, feminists, anarchists, farming peoples, civil rights activists, trade unionists, students, religious groups, anti-sweatshop campaigners, and many, many more. Coming from different countries and different cultures, speaking different languages, they somehow found a way to sit down and speak to each other, and most importantly, to listen to each other. But while these discussions were exciting, and in many ways very important, they failed to come to any real conclusions. The World Social Forum began to meet every year in different countries around the world, and over time the anti-globalization movement began to redefine themselves. They were not against globalization per se, but they were against the particular form of neoliberal globalization that was happening then and indeed now. As they developed transnational networks and built solidarity beyond their own countries, they realized that they were actually pro-globalization. They enjoyed meeting other people from other countries and cultures and realized that they were all part of a shared global society in so many ways. 
They just wanted a different kind of globalization, one that was more just and equal and not dominated by billionaires and transnational corporations and elites. They began to call this globalization from below. And instead of the anti-globalization movement, they began to call themselves the anti-corporate globalization movement, or the alter or alternative globalization movement, or increasingly the global justice movement. But what did globalization from below, or global justice, actually mean? Still, there was no clear articulation. Many of the activists in these movements suggested small-scale local solutions, things like eco-villages and cooperatives and so on. And while these are fine in their own right, they're not a model for a large-scale globalized society. The groups simply could not find a global vision which they could all come together behind. They could not find a model for a just and sustainable globalized world. And in the end, they became more of a talking shop. Hours and hours of discussions, but no concrete plans and no collective actions towards political change. And thus, after 10 or 15 years, this movement lost momentum and in many respects fizzled out. But the problems of contemporary globalization did not go away. In fact, they intensified and got worse. After the financial crash of 2008 and the subsequent bailing out of the banks with public taxpayers' money, many governments implemented punishing austerity measures, cutting public spending on health and education and welfare. And unsurprisingly, economic inequality surged even further. Even in the rich countries of Europe and America, more and more people slipped into poverty and struggled to get through the month. Food banks opened up as better-off individuals stepped in with charity to help the poor, while the state did little. The feelings of anger and frustration and powerlessness increased and spread to wider and wider sections of society. In response to this situation, a new and very different type of movement emerged – right-wing populist nationalism. People like Donald Trump in the US, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil and Viktor Orban in Hungary rode the wave of discontent and came to power. These politicians also argued that globalization was the cause of many of today's problems. But they offered a very different and seemingly more simple solution. If globalization is bad, let's deglobalize. Let's go back to nationalism. Let's put up trade barriers to protect our economies. Let's put up walls and immigration barriers to keep out foreigners. Let's look out for the interests of our own people first and to hell with everybody else. This blunt, racist, selfish approach has found a lot of support with many people. But history has shown us that nationalism, xenophobia, racism and increasing competition between states has only ever led to conflict and war. The recent aggressive stance of the US under Trump, the growth of anti-Islamic sentiment and the moves of several nationalist governments to limit the rights of ethnic minorities certainly does not bode well. But this narrow, nationalistic thinking is problematic in so many other ways too. First of all, in the age of the internet, air travel, global production chains, is it really possible to go back to nationalism? I don't think so. And indeed, most of these populist nationalists still support global business and global investment. It's mainly the cross-border movement of people which they like to stop, much less that of capital. But even if it were possible, do we really want to close ourselves up in narrow, inward-looking nation-states? 
Do we not want to connect with our brothers and sisters around the world? And most importantly, do we not want to find a way to solve common global problems? Climate change is accelerating at a rapid rate and threatens to have huge and dramatic impacts on our lives and our ecosystems in the coming years. Do we really want to put our heads in the sand and ignore this? Pretend that pointless, unenforceable treaties are going to make things better? Or do we want to find a way to come together as a whole so that we can democratically solve our shared problems? The choice is not between globalization as it is now or deglobalization. That's a false choice. Neither of these is a good option. The way forward is to build a different kind of globalization. And in our view, while democratic globalization from below is all well and good, it needs to be combined with democratic globalization from above. We need to build the right structure of globalization. And in these videos, we've outlined what we think this means. Crucially, it means getting decision-making at the right level to solve the problem, with global problems being solved at the global level. And just as crucially, it means building democracy fundamentally into the system at all levels, local, national, and global. In our view, a democratic world federation offers a vision of a more just and democratic form of globalization. We think it offers the best chance for creating a type of globalization that gives everyone a voice and that unites humanity to be able to work together to solve shared global problems and to bring about justice and solidarity. It's a vision that activists and thinkers from Africa, Asia, Latin America, Europe and the US have come up with again and again throughout the 20th century, from Nehru to Nkrumah to Einstein, and which offers a real alternative to the current dysfunctional international system. The vision, of course, needs refining. The details need to be worked out. How would a world parliament work in practice? How would a united global Ministry of Environment tackle climate change? Who would sit on the global tax body to decide on a fair system of global taxation and redistribution? Which issues would be decided at which level of government? All of this requires discussing and debating and fine-tuning. And if activists and academics and politicians can come together to focus on these questions, then we can do this. Another world is possible. But first we have to imagine it. Only then we can build it. And in parallel to that, we need a world movement of citizens that call for global democracy, that publish articles in newspapers and blogs to spread the idea, that write to their members of parliament and tell them that this is what they want, and that come out to the streets to make their voice heard. Perhaps we need campaigns, petitions, social media activity. Perhaps we need new political parties that stand in local and national elections with the promise that if elected, they will pursue change in international organizations in order to bring about global democracy. And maybe these parties can connect with similar parties in other countries and work together to forward the same vision. And maybe we also need new tools Ways to instigate forms of online voting, parallel decision-making systems, things that no one has thought up yet. There are many possible ways forward. Right now, the most important thing is that we start to come together behind this shared vision of a just and democratic world order. NGOs and social movements from the old global justice movement could join and share their experiences and ideas. New groups, individuals, students, anyone who cares about the world that we live in 
our planet and our humanity should join the conversation and most importantly, the action. What's clear is that it will probably take a serious struggle to bring about the radical social and political change that we seek. Democracy has never been freely given. It has always had to be won. That's because it's fundamentally about challenging the power of elites and spreading power more equally in society. It took massive political struggle throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries for democracy to be won at the state level. The struggle to bring about global democracy may be the biggest and most important political struggle of the 21st century. Are you in? The Global Democracy and Justice Lecture Series is also available as videos on YouTube and other platforms. If you found the ideas in this episode interesting, please share it.